Hello and welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your host, JP. With me is... Oh, I'm saying my name. Yeah, you should say your name. That's uh, I'm pointing at you. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Not now, Beyonce. Not I now. am uh, Father Charles Browning. Everyone calls me Chuck. That is Chuck. And also we have... Matt Wells. Matt Wells. And this is Masters of Divinity, where we talk about God. <laughs> Who knows what? You know, we, we, we've never, we don't have like a, uh, like a, like, you know how some sites and some companies, businesses, where have like a mission statement. We never really, uh, you know. We'll develop one. Yeah. Sure. I mean. We will call it enlightenment from confusion. Sure. Uh, judging by the last episode, that makes sense. Or we just, we just, I, just mean we, I just mean we have complete confusion and sometimes enlightenment comes out of it. <laughs> well, it's good to have one because I know every podcast I listen to because I'm a podcast fiend that starts off with, hi, I'm blah, 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 and this is blah, 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 and this is blah, 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 and this is the podcast and where we talk about blah, 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 blah. Actually, I think this is where we talk about blah, 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 could actually be a fitting descriptor. <laughs> so like the, you know, to take the Seinfeld joke, it's a podcast about nothing. <laughs> but it's also kind of a podcast about everything. It's about God and nothing. I think Nietzsche would love that. <laughs> That's about God. God and nothing? Well, yeah. Or Zeus. There is only God and nothing. Uh, Karl Barth's notion of the nihil. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> did you read any Japanese theology today, Chuck? I did not. <laughs> I, I need to do. No, I've, um, the theology that I've been trying to work my way through is a book by Catherine Sondreger, who was my systematics theology, systematic theology professor in seminary. Um, ah. She wrote her, she started working on her dogmatics, which is actually kind of cool because she's the first woman to ever attempt anything like this. So Cool. Okay. So uh, I kind of want to pick up on something that was kind of left unanswered in the last episode. I asked Matt what his favorite Hoobie Stank album was, and he never answered. So, um, Matt, what is your favorite Hoobie Snake album? I still don't have an answer. <laughs> but you didn't answer at all, is what I'm saying. So, I mean, do you... I don't know any, honestly. How could you not? I don't understand. I don't think Hoobie Snake knows. <laughs> all right, so this is the second episode. In the last episode, we talked about uh, Rated R Superman and how much we are not down for that and what that means for uh, spirituality. <laughs> spirituality and the state of the human condition in our society, also in the world, possibly. There's uh, a special prize to anybody who can go back and tell us what we talked about <laughs> and let us know. And uh, then on this episode, uh, we have discussed that we are going to talk about, I believe it was religion versus spirituality, but not really because we don't like that, Right. We're not down with that. Uh... No, I think the distinction works. I mean, that's yeah. it's the common one. I think we were just trying to avoid the cliche title of um, I'm spiritual, not religious. Okay. I mean, so that's what we're talking about, but th right. that becomes such a cliche thing. But we're going to talk about it. But we're going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is good because, you know, I think that both of you guys do have distinct views on this, views that I think work very well together. Uh, and, and I think it'll be an interesting topic nonetheless. So, I started off with Chuck last time. I'm going to start off with Matt this time. Matt, what do you think about spirituality versus religion? What are your thoughts? Well. Start broad, work our way back. That's how we do this here. <laughs> well, I think we, we got to wanting to make this a topic, I think, by um, 
talking about people's desire to feel something spiritually. Right. And how that's um, big today. There's a, a common need to feel something deep and that impacts. Um, but then there's a misunderstanding of religion, I believe, is where Chuck and I started going with it, which is what made us want to talk more about it, is that people have this idea that I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And it's actually huge now. Um, it's a big, big topic, big mm-hmm. idea. If I, get, I think that the idea of religion is where the issue gets hung up. Yeah. On. You know, it's funny. I actually, uh, I remember when I first heard this, I, and the first time I heard it, of course, was in college at the esteemed University of Palm Beach, Atlantic, uh, Palm Beach Atlantic. I remember a lot of people saying, um, it, it kind of came up when we were like, you know, what religion are you? Look, oh, I'm not religious. I, I follow I follow Jesus. And Following Jesus is not a religion. It's just a way of life. Uh, it's real to me. So in order for something to... Basically, they, they were not thinking of religion as something real and tangible. Like, they don't look at it as religion. Like, this is the truth. This is, you know, I'm not uh, part of the matrix. Right. Um, or, that, or that religion is... Or that religion is sort of, like, fake. Like, it's just all sort of surface. Right. And I kind of feel like it was sort of like a trying to take your faith to the next level kind of thing. Uh-huh. And what really struck me, I thought this was like a, like an evangelical only kind of answer. And so one night, um, I watched an interview with Madonna, and they were talking to her about Kabbalah, because at the time that she had just kind of gotten into it, they were asking her about, uh, you know, her religion of Kabbalah, and she, the way she answered it was the exact same way that me and my other uh, evangelical brethren were answering: is it's not a religion; it's real to me. So, I mean, is it, is it, you know, Matt, you said it's, it's still kind of a big thing. Are, do you, are you still hearing this a lot? Like, are people still kind of like. Oh yeah. They just did the, the Pew research poll, um, that proved that a lot less Americans will identify themselves with a religion and will identify themselves as believing in things like Christianity. Hmm. And yet more than ever, people will say that they are experiencing the spiritual life that they are being influenced spiritually. So there's this low percentage of people saying that they are would affirm a religion, but more than ever, it's a higher percentage of people saying that they have a spiritual experience recently that has changed their life and the way that they live. So there's this very big theme of being spiritual but not religious because we we've made religion out to be a dirty word. It's a bad word. Like I, I don't want anything to do with religion because religion's dirty and it has agendas, I think, or what people are afraid of. We picture religion as the church on the corner with their program that they're pushing a specific agenda and they want your money to achieve it. So they want you to come to the church just so that they can get your money to do their program. And to people, that's religion. Well, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for, like the the people, like one person I think of a lot, who to me embodies this within a Christian framework, embodies this is um, Jay Baker, um, the son of Tammy Faye and Jim Baker. Okay. Um, he does he cry a lot too? I, no. I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> think so. But yeah. So Jay, after his after the whole fiasco of his parents with um, Praise the Lord Ministries. Um, for those listeners who have no idea what it is I'm talking about, um, Google it. 
the, 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 they were they were they were televangelists. Um, they had a major falling out, major issue. And um, anyway, their son Jay um, later sort of came back to the faith, and he started a um, a church. I think it's called. I, I don't know the name of it, but I know it meets. It used to meet in the basement of a nightclub in Atlanta. Hmm. And he, I've read interviews with him where he talks about how, like, you know, it's not religion. You know, I don't believe. You know, I'm not. A, this isn't about religion. But listening to him talk about religion. He starts talking about sort of like identifying with political ideologies and like all these rules that are trapped on. So to him, and I think he embodies what a lot of Christians who are averse to the term religions, they see it as like rules and structures and they want to avoid rules and structures. Dogma. Dogma, perhaps. Yeah, that, that might work. You know, so, so that fascinates me. And I, and I see that a lot too. I mean, it, part of my work that I do as a priest is I'm also um, a chaplain at a school and I teach and I teach, last year I taught ethics for eighth graders. And we, the, you listen to the kids talk about their religious lives and the things they believe in. Um, there's this, this, this growing desire to avoid being trapped by a label. I mean, that's like the big, the big thing. We don't want to be labeled. Don't label me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which is such a 90s thing, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, when I was hearing, like I said, when I was hearing it, it's definitely like in your early 2000s. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Some residual 90s-ness. Yeah. Well, it, it was the birth of the, um, not to label all of them, but the birth of the emerging church movement is, right. is people who we don't want to be defined by labels. But then they got a label. But then they got by a label. By being the emerging church. Yeah, by being the emerging <laughs> church. But then they would deny their own label because they don't want labels. But it all it all gets a bit. It's sort of like, what denomination are you? Well, I'm non-denominational. It's labelception going on right now. Which is a, which is a denomination now. Right. at this point. I, like I actually had somebody ask that last night. JP was there. Um, he's like, would you be the pastor of a non-denominational church? I was like, yeah, but at the same time, how's that non-denominational anymore? Non-denominational is a denomination. Like... <laughs> We had an inception moment, so I had to use the button. Sorry, go All ahead. All right. Okay. So now we have like, uh, so this is like a morning rock show. <laughs> no, this is not morning zoo. <laughs> so, <laughs> JP is like our Robin <laughs> on Howard Stern's show. I don't know these references. Um, You're so lame, Matt. How I come? played the fifth. So, so, well, so I'm, I'm, let, me, I, I, let, me, let me talk a little bit about just how I respond to this, if, if you allow me to be as talkative as I normally am. It, you know, my reaction in college was somewhat unique for a lot of the people was, you know, I became Episcopalian. So like I grew up Baptist and this might be helpful for us to talk about maybe our backgrounds a little bit. I don't know. But like yes. for me, like I grew up Baptist, um, became very disaffected with the church, definitely identified myself with a, with what I would call a non-religious Christian. Which, turned, which totally just meant, like, uh, I read the Bible occasionally and I hang out with my friends on the weekends and somehow that's, that satisfies community and word or whatever. And so that's church for me. That's sort of my logic. Um, but then I wind up becoming Episcopalian, which means I become super religious. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, become a I join a denomination, you know, and now, like, I mean, I have a uniform. I wear a black dress, right, you know? <laughs> You look um, like Neo. I look like, like just like Neo. Yeah, or Snape. I hear that sometimes too. <laughs> Didn't um, think of that one. That's good Definitely one. going with that. But one. yeah, so like I wear, so I wear, you know, I wear all this stuff, and you know, when I there's all these rules and structures to what we do on Sundays. I have a book called the Book of Common Prayer that sort of dictates how we worship, and so it's it's kind of counter to what I grew up with, but I, I a little bit, a little just bit, a little, and, and which is so weird because you know, like I, you know, I was always seen as the countercultural kid, but I guess in a way, it's its own counterculture to do this. 
Um, but I find it to be super liberating and freeing to embrace my religion. And I feel like having the label and having the practice of a religion allows my spirituality to have meat and mm -hmm. weight to it. But um, anyway, so that's where I am with this. I mean, I, I come at this, you know, so when I hear this phrase, you know, like a lot of Episcopal priests, we get the heebie-jeebies because we're like, oh, the church is dying because nobody wants religion. But I think people actually really do want religion. They just want it to mean something. Right. And they want to see that it connects to something tangible and real. And I think, like, like, like Matt brought up in the beginning, that we want to see that this stuff matters. That it's not just you know sitting in an auditorium listening to a guy prattle on for an hour mm -hmm. and telling us how we can have our best life now, but that rather we can actually engage with something that's beyond the world as we see it and know it. Matt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. the and the way you're kind of describing it, Chuck, and I'm from my my own personal experience, you know, I was I was there when you were making, you know, the big the big leap. Yeah, we were from, roommates. Yeah, yeah. And I was fascinated by it because I always viewed you as sort of like the you know, the counterculture kid as you, as you called yourself, you know. The, um I always kind of referred to you as my Tyler Durden. And it was so weird because <laughs> it is a little scary now, uh looking back. All the millennials listening, Google it. <laughs> <laughs> when I was experiencing it, I thought it was like really. I was like, of course he is. Like, it, you, you can't. You made going to something that I was. I thought I was subverting, like look like subversion. I don't know. I don't know if that's like your style. Like how you, you just that's like a talent you have, or maybe you actually were like doing something very subversive. Maybe now today, the Episcopalian Church is subversive compared to the evangelical church. And I was always kind of, kind of raised to think the evangelicals were being the rebels, you know, but I think in this day and age, it really is, you know, the more traditional denominations that kind of seem more, more subversive of our culture today, because, you know, growing up in the evangelical and we, in the evangelical world, and Matt and I have talked about this, it's become so like, when I think of the evangelical church and, I don't know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm not trying to like speak out against anyone in particular. The first thing I think of, I think of like mass paperback books. Matt and I were talking about like how we like our books. And I, I, I love a book to be like someone like put it together for me to read it. And it's like it came from somewhere. And it has like cool artwork and I can read it clearly and it's a nice size. I hate mass paperback books because they're so like... Um, I don't know, like they're just mass produced. They've got like advertisements for the adaptation on the movie on the cover. And, you know, it's kind of why I don't have a mass paperback Game of Thrones because it has HBO all over it. And that's kind of how I was starting to feel like what, you know, what my brand of Christianity was starting to become. Christianity and religion in general is supposed to be like this ancient thing. It's, it's our relationship with the mysteries of the universe. And I'm reading this mass paperback book in a room with you know, with, with fluorescent lighting, like it just kind of, it kind of destroys, I want to say the mystique, but I don't mean that on like a, a shallow level. I think there does have to be a kind of mystique to it because once again, you know, I kind of define religion as our mystery, as our relationship with the mysteries of the universe. So that's, those are my two cents on it. I mean, yeah. What do you think, Matt? Wow. I mean, <laughs> I mean, do you want to share? You, like, I, mean, I guess, yeah. Background. What's your background? A little yeah. bit. Uh, well, I um, also grew up in a Baptist church. I um, 
still go to the same church now. Uh, I'm a deacon there currently, and am hoping to soon be a pastor. Anybody listening, job opening, let me know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like, um, like we were saying, I feel like the problem with this whole spiritual but not religious thing is it's it's easy. It's an excuse to it's an excuse to be and experience what I want to experience without worrying about um, anything or anyone else. <laughs> Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like it's like I was saying when we were talking about this before that that spiritual just means that you you believe in something. Um, religion is just the result of more than one person believing in the same thing. And then organized religion is a bunch of you going, we all believe the same thing, so how do we interact with this and the world around us? And I think it's gotten warped in some ways with the mass paperback version, like you're talking about, (laughs) where our way of interacting has become to walk into a building on a Sunday, to sing the songs, hear the, the encouraging sermon, walk out, and that be it until we come back for the next program, show, experience. Whereas religion is supposed to be so much deeper because it's community. Um, it's, a, it's a group of people. The Bible goes as far as to say that we're a body. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that people say Christ didn't come to start another religion. It's like, well, well no, Christ came because he is the source of all things that would be religion. Like, um, he called a group of people to join together, to become one body, reaching out to the world. Um, I mean, that would be religion. It's to say we're spiritual, not religious. is that That's just like wacky out there. You can't, it's a whole, don't define me by a label, I'm just spiritual. Um, but religious is to join into something. How religion has been warped in some ways is what people have a problem with. And we could have great debates on that and see where things have gone wrong. But it's like what you're saying, the thing that called you back to the, to the church and your role as a priest in a church that you at back in the day would have been like, that's, that's outdated and odd. Now you're like, no, this is amazing because it's joining into a tradition that has spanned centuries of practice and people who are on the same journey together and have seen the world around it grow, have grown with the with the times changing and how do we interact with it, but the church has remained held together by things that have been practiced since centuries before. So it's like, it's, it's automatically having this encouragement of like a, um, I think scripture is saying you're surrounded by a body of believers who have already, you know, a great cloud of witnesses, those who have already lived this life and passed on and to partake in a church that practices things that are centuries, it's like an instant reminder of how long this is. This has lasted, how this isn't going anywhere, hmm. how the world's going to change, but the church is still here as long as we're holding to our faith, holding to what we believe, and we're doing it together as a religion. It's not just going to vanish and disappear. Yeah, I, the, the thought that I had when I, when I <coughs> early on in my days as an Episcopalian was I would sit, and I, and I happened to become Episcopalian. It's just gorgeous Gothic church in Palm Beach. And, you know, I'd sit in this just amazing, massive church that looked like it was built in like the 1500s or something. And, but I, the, the thought that I had was, 
I felt like I was actually part of something that I had spent my entire life talking about. Hmm. Like I felt like so much of my life had been talking about this thing called Christianity that we weren't ever really doing it. We were just talking about it. You know, like there was the church and we always had this, this, you know, the church and this, you know, this sort of mystical, you know, I don't want to use mystical. Mystical, I think is a positive idea, but it was just this thing. It was this abstract term called the church. You know, sort of this invisible thing that existed between Christians, sort of the way I always heard it. But again, like we always talked about it. Like I never felt like we were saying we were the church. We were just sort of, there's the church. It's just this thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm repeating myself. But then I become Episcopalian, like you're saying. It's, it's like that, 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 that language of a, so, so great a cloud of witnesses. And the idea that prayers that, are, that, that we were praying every Sunday were prayers that had existed for um, some of them going back into some of the earliest, earliest disciples and the earliest bishops in the church, you know, to, to realize that I'm participating in the same kind of faith that people like St. Francis and Teresa Avila and Clement of Alexandria and all these great history, you know, heroes of the faith. This is the stuff they did. Right. And in some ways, like, I'm wearing the same kind of clothes they wore. Like, it's just, you know, weird, you know, like, you know, I'm wearing an elaborate poncho when I'm at the altar and stuff like that. But it's, it's just, it's kind of amazing to me to have that connection. And that's, yeah, so I feel like so much of it is we talk around this thing. But just to get back to the um, to the whole the whole language around I'm spiritual, not religious, and to this idea of, like, not have religion. One of the things that strikes me about this, I, I made a joke earlier that it sounds so 90s, but it really is. I mean, we think back to, like, the 90s, and, you know, we were all young in the 90s. We didn't really necessarily, like, come of age in it. We kind of came of age in the early 2000s. Yeah. You know, because we're of our age group, we're sort of kind of millennials, we're like half millennials. Or something. We're old millennials. That's old what they call us yeah. these days. We're confused. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we're old millennials that grew up in the shadow of Generation X. That's yeah, the only thing they ever this. accomplished. Yeah, <laughs> but like I think of you know one of the great things that we all heard growing up was like you know the cry of individuality. Yeah, we're all got to be individuals. You know, and like that was you know when I would argue with my mother about why I should be wearing my you know thirty six inch. Um, leg Jinko jeans with my knee-length chain wallet. Um, I, I, I remember that passport photo that you posted that morning. That was glorious. Oh, oh yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah, so yeah, big time. <laughs> Choker necklace and all that. Yeah. You but, looked like the guy from Sugar Ray. It was amazing. <laughs> I did. I really did. Mark McGrath. Yeah. yeah. Um, poor man's Mark McGrath. Yeah. But like, but I remember like a joke one of my friends made one day. We were out on the mall and we saw that this is a group of goth kids walking around. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole thing like, I want to be an individual, but that means you just want to look like all the people you hang out with. <laughs> and I sort of feel like, you know, like the true individual is going to be somebody who won't fit into a mold. And I, and I see a parallel with this whole idea of I'm spiritual, not religious. I'm spiritual, not religious. I don't want to be bound, bound, um, bound by a label. Well, you've bound yourself by a label because yeah. you do the same stuff that everyone else who identifies with you does. Uh, you know, you're all doing crystals. You're all, I mean, you know, you're all, you're all doing kind of the same thing. I mean, I don't want to dismiss anybody who's listening, but it does. It just seems sort of, you're, you're. It's you're become just, its own religion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it has its own. I mean, if you want to define what is a religion in the sense that I think most people think of it, it has a very defined not always down to the exact letter, but a very defined um, code of how it works. Does that make sense? Is that working? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm trying not to use just Christian language because Christianity is one religion. There's lots of religions. Mm-hmm. But a religion has a very understood way of how it works. So kind of like um, 
kind of like the law in the Old Testament. You, if you were under the law, you stood out because you were identified with the law. So to identify with a religion is just to stand out for a group of people with a set of beliefs and a determined idea of how those people will interact with everybody else. That would be a religion. Yeah. The people who say, I am spiritual, but not religious, are a set of people who have a determined set of beliefs, who have defined how they're going to interact with everybody else. Mm -hmm. And that is, I am not religious. I will be defined by no religion which defines me as my own religion. If you're defined by nothing, you are something. Yeah. Because you can't be both. So I can't say I'm part of no religion without immediately making myself distinct. So to say I'm spiritual but not religious has now become a defined way of interacting with the world based on a set of beliefs that a group of people have, which would be a religion. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and you know, one of the great illustrations that I've often heard to describe, you know, one of the things I've heard people say is, um, you know, God is at the top of the mountain. And there's many paths up that mountain. You know, religions are just the different paths you take. So it's all really one way up there. And, you know, so the kind of religious but not spiritual person, you know, sort of, they, they, they one, you know, if I may be so bold to say somewhat smugly, assume that they have the objectivity to see outside of the whole system. It's like saying I can get to the top of the mountain without actually touching the mountain. Yeah. I don't have to climb it. I'm right. You can see it. Yeah. But the other piece is, is that, okay, if religions are the paths and you're not a religion, well, then are you, then you're not picking a path, right? I mean, according to your own model, you're not really, you're not following or playing by your own rules in that yeah. one. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I guess for me, that's why it's so frustrating. I would almost rather somebody be like, be Muslim, be Hindu, you know, be whatever, just be something. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's what I guess. I guess Matt can adjust. I can address this because, in a way, Matt's made a, I think, a very compelling argument that that no religion is its own path. I suppose. Yeah. But I guess, like, I mean, then we get into like whole theory of what's like what makes religion because a key concept in all religion is salvation. And how do you? What is salvation in this idea of I'm not religious, I'm spiritual? So how do you? What does salvation mean? You know, what are you being saved for? What are you being saved from? I, so I think that could be an interesting topic too. But um. Mm -hmm. Well, David Foster Wallace, and not to get all a hipster, <laughs> too late. David Foster Wallace said that uh, it's impossible for anybody to be an atheist. And you know, the point I was trying to make is that even if you are an atheist, if you don't believe in any kind of religion, if you grew up with no religion whatsoever, there is an author, or there is a, an artist, or there is. Uh, I don't know, anything in your life that you will solely devote yourself to and will defend and will kind of use it to reinforce your own beliefs. And yeah, I mean, it's AA. It's AA spirituality. Right, yeah. You know, AA defines, you know, you put your faith in a higher power. Mm -hmm. That higher, if, you're, if you don't believe in God, that higher power is your kids, your family, whatever you define that as. The force. The force, <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> medical ranzo? No medical ranzo. Let's not use that. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We're trying to be movie light on this one, but um, I'm not letting that happen. Uh, well, but I mean, I, and to be fair, I mean, movies are sort of, it, it's sort of the literature of pop culture. You could more. say it's my religion. You could. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could. <laughs> uh, but on that note, I saw a movie couple weeks ago or a week ago uh called the witch and it brought about uh enormous discussion 
um, about you know the state of movies, the state of horror films, uh, and the state of society as a whole. The state of society as a whole, uh, which I think you have interesting things to say about that. Uh, what w- if you could kind of like give me like a like a thirty second version? Wow, that's a higher thirty second version maybe, of the two hour rant. Um, <laughs> well, just you know, let's 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 uh, the the hits. We'll talk about the hits in that, well, the, that discussion. The without spoiling any movies, because um, we don't do that here. We're not movie spoilers. Nope. I guess. Uh, we talked about The Witch and mm-hmm. the movie It Follows. Right. Um, and this kind of new movement in horror movies that kind of, in a way, goes back to some of the older... Some of the more 70s-inspired films. It's very uh, art house horror. But even more disturbing... And that's where our discussion really took place. Right, that they're more visceral, a bit right. more um, sensory-driven than right. story-driven. I, I, basically, the 30-second version, I said that these movies are less worried about story and character as they are worried or thinking about how this will move me. Mm-hmm. And I said it, it's people don't want to be scared anymore. Like They moved through the Saw movement of being grossed out and scared on screen. And into a movement of, I want something that disturbs my soul. (laughs) Um, And I said that, to me, was a commentary on the the spiritual but not religious idea. I want something that stirs my soul. I want a experience, even a movie, that reaches in and disturbs something inside of me that's deeper than me. Than a jump scare. Right. It doesn't scare me. It disturbs me. I walk out feeling changed by it. Yeah. Sometimes dirty, like you need (laughs) to shower. Yeah, I do think uh, there's a there's a quote on the poster for the witch. Yeah. From Drew at uh, Hitfix. Feels like something we should not be watching. And it that that really does capture it, and I think that's why I loved it. (laughs) But and that's why I did not. It genuinely felt like something we should not be watching. And I did not see it. But (laughs) I do know through reviews and and marketing stuff about it that what I'm interested in is that that phrase you use about it being something that disturbs one's soul, Mm -hmm. being that it's a movie set in colonial America. And one of the theologians that I've been kind of lightly reading lately, if you can lightly read a theologian, is America's first great theologian, which is Jonathan Edwards. Right. Uh, And he, you know, his his famous sermon, which kicked off, what people think has sort of kicked off the Great Awakening in America, which was Sinners in the Hands of Angry God. Yes. Which was meant to disturb people in their souls. And this was in colonial times. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm intrigued by this connection. Um, Maybe there's a theme... There maybe there's a thesis to be written there. I don't know. Um, oh, there is. But um, but it's interesting to think that me are we in a similar kind of place right now where we want that kind of disturbance? You know, have we become so empty spiritually that we want something to disturb us? Well, I, I think you know. I think what you say, Matt, about what it says about society. I think it's great. I don't know how far reaching it is because, well, the witch didn't do that well, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it kind of tanked at the box office. Mm-hmm. It follows did very well, mm-hmm. but maybe there is, but it's mostly amongst a certain kind of people, artists, right. people. For, in movies, 
as as movies. Um, I think that it's a very specific audience that's mm-hmm. at that point. Right. In society, I feel like it's the same desire, um, but there's those who seek it in movies, mm-hmm. and then there's those who seek it in other things. Um, music. There's the people that want the song that it feels like it reaches in and like like rips out your heartstrings, you right. know, or plucks yeah. out them or rips out your heart. Or they want something that moves them and experience. We're driven by by things that, that cause us to think deeper, mm-hmm. look for deeper connections and meanings. And I feel like with the movie audience, because you and I, JP, we um we talk often about a different sphere of movie viewer than, right. than most. And within that sphere, I believe it's, here you go. Um, you made the joke that you could say movies are your religion. Right. There is a big group of people that I think would follow the same line of thinking as you. And those are the people that the witch and it follows, I believe, are made for. The movies are my religion people. Mm-hmm. have reached a point where they now want movies that stir that stir the soul. I no longer want a movie that entertains or a movie that makes light. I want a movie that stirs and that that shakes and that um, digs at something inside of me. So I actually think people like you are who it was made for. That's probably true. You're you're the like movies are like my religion, and now they're making movies that are almost a religious depth of disturbance. Wow. To go with your in the Christian world, it's the the movies have reached their Jonathan Edwards. Can we say that? I mean, I would say The Witch is a pretty Jonathan Edwardsy kind of movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... I mean, it's, they're in the hands of something angry in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean. The idea it does make a great case of that sermon. Well, yeah. like I think you guys have, have mentioned about it in, in other conversations and stuff that I'm aware of it from stuff that I've read because you know, we read a lot of the same people. And there's a phrase you made, JP, about it. Again, I'm talking about a movie I've not seen, so I feel really like, like it's I'm, okay. Like I'm winging it here, like I'm like <laughs> in eighth grade trying to pass an oral exam on a book <laughs> I didn't finish. But um, but is this this notion of doubling down on the supernatural elements to it that right. it's that it's not. That it's not like, you know, like, the, okay, to, I, I think a, a, somewhat of a parallel would be The Village. Mm-hmm. In my Shyamalan's Village. <laughs> I actually said that The Village would be what happens if this movie was made. How did I, how did I put that? Like in the early 2000s if or something. like the it... Hollywood version, um, that the Hollywood 2000 version of The Witch is The Village. Yeah, yeah I mean, and because of Shyamalan, if you've ever seen The Village, and if you haven't, I'm not going to spoil it, even though it's like, you know, it's not a 15-year-old yeah, just... movie. But like, that... It's the kind of movie where, like, you're aware the whole time that there's really not something supernatural happening, mm-hmm. and you're just sort of, you know, even though Shyamalan, of course, had made this reputation himself of a movie about bringing ghosts, but you were aware of that. It was such a '90s, early 2000s kind of thing to deal with, like colonial superstition. It's a playoff, though. These are people who don't know what's going on. They're simple-minded or, or whatever. But like, it's interesting to live in a time now where we have no, we have no problem making a movie about the devil and the idea that like in colonial america maybe these people were actually spirit experiencing something that we've forgotten about today mm-hmm. and i think it's such a perfect metaphor for where we're at because you know what you know so many so many people are looking to sort of ancient expressions or unfamiliar i mean like even through the 60s right 1960s is when mainline christianity started to fall apart because they saw the kids you know the, the counterculture boomer generation 
saw Christian mainline Christianity as the as the sort of staid, sure, comfortable religion of their parents. And so they started checking out what was going on in the East. They started looking into Buddhism. They started looking into Hinduism. And all of that because it was different from what they knew. It was just unfamiliar. It was exotic. Um, and now, now that we have the internet, we can check this stuff out, you know, in, a, in an instant. You know, now we're starting to look at stuff that we don't have that ability to. Because we have time machines. So we can't go see, like, what, like, Roman paganism looked like. But, right. like, people are looking at those kinds of things. We're looking at what the world was like before technology sort of took the mystery out of everything. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, I'm, and I'm fascinated by this. And, like, and just like Matt said, you know, with the Pew study, you've got, um, was it Pew or Barna? Whichever one it was. I think it was Barna. Anyway, whichever one it was, talked about how, like, the so-called nuns, the N-O-N-E's, um, um, are the fastest, you know, the largest, the second largest religion in the world. They were considered one religion, the, largest, the second largest religion in the world. Or maybe just in America, but whatever. But at the same time, the number of people who claim spiritual, even sometimes supernatural experience is on the rise. Mm-hmm. And that is very interesting to me. Because it, it shows, one, that we want this stuff to be real. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and I'm just kind of thinking a lot about this now, uh, the witch, how they kind of double down on the supernatural part of it. You know, for the longest time within like the 2000s, you know, late 90s, 2000s, you know, horror movies were tried to go the more psychological route where, oh, the supernatural thing is not what's scary. It's like crazy people, whatever, or like the the idea of something is scarier. And they really just kind of milked that for all it was. You know, now the witch where it's like, no, this is about a witch and it's supernatural. And, you know, you have movies like It Follows, which was also a supernatural horror movie. That's you also got what's the... Paranormal Activity. Paranormal Activity, which is huge, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, kind of going back to last week, when we were talking about comic book films, or last episode, we talked about Superman being rated R, and how I made the statement that Marvel films are doing it right. It kind of feels like we're kind of grasping at, um, I don't think it says more about our time, but like, what, what, what was it about that period um, where we just kind of did away with the notions of like, the supernatural, uh, the wondrous. Uh, we tried to ground ourselves more. Why were we so grounded? And why is it coming back now where it's like you don't have to be so grounded? I mean, the short answer for me is to talk about sort of the postmodern shift mm-hmm. that we are, you know, we've, we've moved philosophically into a place where we recognize that we can embrace the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Than the fantastic, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that it diminishes anything. Right. Um, but think, yeah, but the, but the question of why we lost it, I think, is a very is, is probably the really interesting question. Because this wasn't a long period, right? See, it's, it's that spiral dynamics I told you I heard all. About. <laughs> yeah, it was moving toward the uh, into a modern the modern world where it was all um, intellect and what I think and what I can process and prove. What? And then we moved into a postmodern that's like, no, there's, yes, my intellect is helpful, but there's something outside of me. There's something bigger. Um, and I think that's what moved into the, the spiritual, the, the rise of the spiritual but not religious thing is this acceptance of, I, I think um, there's, a, there's an interesting book now. I haven't read I've only read through the introduction so far, so. Mm-hmm. But Diana Butler Bass mm-hmm. wrote the book Grounded, 
Um, And in the introduction talks about how it's things like um, like 9-11 that caused us to realize um, that there's a there's a deeper discussion that needs to be had. And she's talking about where God is. Our question used to be, who is God? Now our question is, where is God? Um, And she talks about a three-tiered universe and all this stuff. But I think it's also the same reason that that we had this reawakening of... um, It's very clear when things like a Columbine shooting happened Mm -hmm. around us and the the 9-11 event and tsunamis and these horrible natural disasters that Bush. are taking place. And, and it, it becomes very clear that um, there's, there's a need to, to begin asking questions that are outside of our, our logical thinking and processing. Um, because of the way we're all moved by those events, it made it clear. So culture moved toward the spiritual, but are trying to, to shirk the religious tradition before that. And I think part of it's because of, part of it's a critique on the church's failed, not, not specific churches, but the church, um, some churches failed attempts to interact with the world before events like that happened. And some churches just kind of became the idea of religious where they're not actively involved, they're just there for their agenda. And then a 9-11 event happens and people are like, we need something so much more real than that. And I think that caused a movement away from established churches and toward a wanting to have this like deeper connection with everybody, um, the spiritual, not religious movement. Well, I think part of it for me too is, so I've been, I've been pretty heavily influenced by um, a theologian by the name of John Milbank and a whole movement that sort of sprung up around him called Radical Orthodoxy. It, and I could be completely misconstruing their work as I talk about this, but what I what I kind of see it as is, so they, they catalog the, the sort of philosophical theological development of Western society through modernism and into postmodernism, and then there's also something they, they sometimes refer to as post secularism, which is sort of an offshoot of postmodernism. But so for them is this argument that we see that in much of our world we have something called the secular, which at some point during the modern era we created this sphere that we saw was neutral, right? So the political sphere has to exist in this secular, neutral sphere. You can believe whatever you want, so long as it doesn't infringe on my freedoms and my ability to do whatever. Which, of course, if you're faithful to your religion, is a huge problem, because everyone's religion dictates some degree of infringing on other people's freedoms. It's just that's just the nature of, of, of these beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, so, so what you look at when you see the world that way is you see this, you know, that sort of really kind of the, the bad type of, I, I'm going to use a word that is probably loaded, but it's the word of, is tolerance. You know, in 90, the 90s, again, going back to the 90s, I, think, I guess that's what we're talking about <laughs> dealing with the 90s here. Sorry, with transference issues. But like, the 90s was all about tolerance. Let's tolerate each other. Let's tolerate everything what everyone does. Well, tolerance is such a weak word because it really is just like, I'm just putting up with you. It doesn't mean I actually engage you. Mm-hmm. Right? So, there's you know, a great so, South Park episode about that. Well, and so that's and that's kind of actually where I'm going to go with this. It's, yeah. it's one of my favorite episodes of South Park. Is the Mr. Hanky the Christmas Pooh episode, <laughs> where that's where we're going. Where the you know where where everyone gets offended by the Christmas program that the school puts on. That it's you know that the Jewish families are not included because it's a Christian thing. And then everybody it goes on. Everybody has their thing they get upset with, and so they try to create this thing that includes everyone. 
And it becomes this sort of like non-denominational Christmas pageant or like holiday, like winter holiday pageant, as they call it. Use no offensive language. And the music is done by Philip Glass. And all the kids are wearing uh, black turtlenecks. Yes. And it's this yes. very weird deal. And, what it, and it created this little act. It, it gave birth to this axiom that I use a lot, which is in our attempts to include everyone, we wind up excluding everyone. That when you try so hard to include everyone, you lose you lose whatever is distinctive about everyone. And so I think like we as a society have seen that. We've gotten to this place where we're all kind of in this attempt to try to get everyone to kill. Like, ultimately, we, we've, we've come up with something that's non-offensive, mm-hmm. right? And I, I mean, and, and just using that word, I think we could get into a whole conversation about like the popularity of people like Donald Trump. Like that we are really, like, there are people who are stirred by the idea of people who are not afraid to be offensive. And that, that we, and that, that that's and that's seen as a virtue because we've lived in such a sanitized world for so long that now I think we are moving towards something where we want to see one like a spirituality that costs something, a spirituality that and not like like financially costs. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who willing to sell a spirituality, but like a spirituality that like it means something, like it's it, it and it comes to define you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just something you practice in private on your own. It becomes a flag you fly. And I think that's why people are gravitating to this kind of stuff. And even if it is turning out to being sort of like a community of people who sort of all believe the same things, and that, that same thing happens to be that they're non-religious, and so they can kind of get together at Starbucks and have their non-religious meetings or whatever it is they, they want to do. Um, but you also see like this shift of people going to like, I mean, one of the great phenomena that we talk about in the, in the church is how, like in California, people have left like the mega churches. Like, I mean, people have left like Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's huge church in California and like joined the Greek Orthodox church. I mean, such really? a, yeah, such a like shift huh. um, because it, it engages with something outside of themselves. It's not just a passive type of religiosity where you can sit in a room and, and then feel reinforced about what you believe and whatever. Um, and again, if there's any Rick Warren people out there, I, I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. I won't say anymore, but, <laughs> but, but there really is a richer, I, I think like, you know, my tradition, obviously I'm going to believe in that. Um, and the Orthodox church and the Catholic church as being very rich and engaging in the faith. Um, and I think that that's something that people are, are increasingly gravitating to. So we either have people who are sort of, they want to be non-religious, but they're trying to see something spiritual or they're willing to double down on their religious beliefs. Or maybe they become Satanists. I, I don't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, they, they follow Alan Moore and they want to like conjure little beings and mirrors and, stuff. and worship a snake god. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know if I just wanted to take a whole level that just like made no sense to anybody. <laughs> no, it did. It was great. It was wonderful. No, I'm afraid of what kind of people you offended that are going to come after us on the computer now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love us like Jesus did, please. Um, <laughs> Well, that's good. Uh, well, we've reached the 49-minute mark on this podcast. So I actually think it's a pretty great place to, to end it if you had anything else, unless you had something else to add to that, Matt. Nope, good. Where do you go from there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, I know that this entire discussion um, does, and I'm, this is where I'm going to leave it, does remind me of a bit that Robin Williams did once. And actually, I said this to Matt last night. Robin Williams said uh, he was talking about how great Mother Teresa was. And he was talking about how Pat Robertson once said that Mother Teresa is not a real Christian. And he said, why, Pat? Because she doesn't have a tax shelter in the university. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. 
So I know I think uh, I thought that was a good thing to bring up. That's sort of my two cents on the whole issue. If being religious means to be like Mother Teresa, uh, is it that bad? Obviously not. Great. So that was the uh, that's the ending to this uh, second episode of Masters of Divinity. I am JP. You can reach me at John Spencer Post on Twitter. Uh, Chuck, where can people find you? On Twitter, uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, at fr charles b. Um, or you can also check out my church's website at uh, chapelsta.org. And Matt, where can people find you? My website, realmattwells.com. Really? Your website? Yeah, oh, okay. Cool. Great. Uh, thank you for listening, and tune in next week. Bye-bye.